Well, good morning, friends. Great honor for me and Amy to have a chance to be with you this weekend. I bring you greetings from brothers and sisters in Christ from Gospel Fellowship Church in Glen Ellen, Illinois. And I wish I had my whole family here, but I'd like to at least show you a picture. Uh, There's Amy. You get the the better version in person right here. But uh, we've got these six blessings. R.W., Lissy, J.D., Laney, Millie, and Ray. Boy, girl, boy, girl, girl, boy. 15, 13, 11, 9, 5, and 3. And... Did I, I think I feel like I skipped one there. I'm not sure. But, uh, and then we've got the blessing of uh, baby on the way, Lord willing, in November. So as you can imagine, life is very full and challenging and blessed. Now, uh, I want to give you a quick background into the, the personal nature of what I want to share with you today. Summer of 2004, uh, God brought me to a, a deep place of change in my life. Long story short, I had been a youth pastor for 10 years. Amy and I had been married about that same amount of time. And my number one passion, my number one focus, my number one vision was passing my faith to everybody else's children as a youth and family pastor at my church. I was investing myself in everybody else's marriage, investing myself in everybody else's family. And at the same time, I did not have a vision and a passion to shepherd my own children, to really invest spiritually in my own family to really invest spiritually in my own marriage. And so God, as it says in the scriptures that we'll talk about today, turned my heart to the ministry of my family and of my children. Now I want to give you fair warning that as Pastor Tyler and I talked about this weekend and talked about the different messages that, that he wanted me to share, the message that we chose for this morning is really not the best message for the guest preacher. The best message for the guest preacher is the fun message. The message with the stories and the anecdotes and the jokes and all those things. Because when the guest preacher preaches the fun message, people go away saying, oh, he was great. I liked him. That's not today, okay? Uh, The reason that's not today is because the church, in North America in particular, is facing a serious crisis. And that crisis involves our children. You may not know the statistics about this, but you probably know it just in your own heart. But here's the reality, that 75% of children growing up in our Christian homes and Christian churches today are leaving the faith when they become adults. 75%. What that also means is that two-thirds of our empty nesters in our churches today have at least one child not walking with the Lord. And we're going to talk more about that in a little while. And when we look at statistics like this, you know, a lot of us would say, oh my goodness, well, this is a crisis. We have got to get our children's ministry ramped up. We've got to get our youth ministry ramped up. We've got to have more programs in the community for kids and youth. Folks, we've got the greatest children's ministries and youth ministries the world's ever seen. 50, 75 years ago, there was really no such thing as professional children's workers and professional youth workers and all these amazing buildings and staff and curriculum and camps. Folks, the church is doing a ton to reach kids. The thing that's changed over the last hundred plus years more than the church is the family. See, up until the early 1900s, everybody in the church understood that when it came to passing faith and passing character to the next generations, Well, that was the job of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles in the home. And so what I want to do with you this morning is we're going to walk through the Bible and I want to try to connect for you how God in the scriptures 
brings two things together. Two things that we usually don't put together. What God brings together is your normal family life, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your siblings, if you're married, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, just the stuff that happens in your home. God puts that together with his global plan for the advance of the gospel. That your family and the Great Commission, cover to cover in the Bible, go together. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to preach as long as they will allow me to before they say i got to go over there. They said one-ish is when I have to leave here. So a couple hours to go through the Bible. No, but I'm going to start in Genesis 1 and we're going to just do our best to go through this. So here we go. Genesis chapter 1. God makes Adam, God makes Eve. Then God speaks to them. What's the very first thing God says to people? Anybody know? Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. I'm in a lot of churches that it's been decades since they've ever preached on the very first thing God said to people. You'd think this would be pretty important, wouldn't you? God makes us and then he talks to us. Well, here's what God does in Genesis 1.28. He explains to us his divine mission, which is now going to be worked out in the rest of history. His divine mission is very simple. His mission is to fill this earth with his people with his worship, with his word, and with his glory. So that the new earth will be filled with his people, with his worship, with his word, and with his glory. Well, how is he going to fill the earth? Well, he made this thing called marriage, made this thing called family, and that one generation would raise another generation who would raise another generation, and we'd spread out and fill the earth with the worship of God. But you get to Genesis chapter 6, the world is not filled with worship. The world's filled with evil. This is the way it says it in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become in that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Most wicked time of human history, never to be repeated again. So wicked, in fact, that God and his sovereignty begins again, not just with a righteous man. You know, your little kid picture books of Noah and the ark, old man Noah out there alone building the ark. It's just not the way it happened. It's Noah and his wife, three hearty working sons and their wives, a family of eight, who get on the ark, then they step off the ark. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God speaks to them. And this is what God says. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Do you think God wants something? He wants the earth filled with his people. That's what he's doing. Let's go forward to Abraham. God chose this man Abraham 4,000 years ago, and it says in Genesis chapter 12 that God has chosen Abraham to be a blessing to the nations, that he had a global mission. Now, 4,000 years ago, how do you have a global mission over in the Middle East? I mean, today, maybe you get on airplanes, right, and you fly around and you do stuff around the world, or you write something, you put it out on the internet, and you can reach the world. But 4,000 years ago, how do you have a global mission? Well, let's see how God explained it to Abraham. Genesis 18, 18 says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Global mission. What's he supposed to do about it? Verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children in his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. Abraham, I'm going to fill the earth with my people. If you want to participate in this plan, lead your family. 
If you want to participate in this plan, make it your number one mission to shepherd the souls of your house in your household. Let's go forward. Exodus chapter 20. Ten commandments. First four commandments are vertical in that they have to do with our relationship with God. Last six commandments are horizontal in that they have to do with our relationship with each other. That makes the fifth commandment the first commandment for human relationships. You tracking? Okay. What's the fifth commandment? Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. There you go. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now you understand that God himself put the commandments in order, right? He actually wrote them into the rock. So he gets done. Here's how you properly worship me. Now I want to tell you folks how to get along with each other. I don't know about you, but if I were putting them in order, the first one I'd put would be don't kill anybody. Let's just start there. I'll give you more advanced skills later. But we'll begin with that. But that's not what God does. What's the first thing he says? Honor your father and your mother. Now, why would he do that? Well, because this is the first moral decision a human being faces in their life. My three-year-old Ray, commandment, do not commit adultery. Really not on his radar screen right now, right? May as well be nine commandments for the little guy. He'll, he'll, He'll get to that one later. But do you think honor your mother is on Ray's radar screen? Honor your father. Absolutely. Young people, students, listen closely to me. One of the best ways that you can discern how you're doing as a girl or a boy or a young man or a young woman, especially if you're a follower of Christ, how am I doing growing in faith? One of the best ways that you can can discern that is to ask yourself, how well do I honor my mother? How well do I honor my father? Because honor for your mother, honor for your father is practice and preparation for your honor of God. Now, as a youth pastor, I I had a a difficult time teaching this, actually, because it looks like we've found the secret to long life, right? The world's trying to find long life. What's the secret to long life? And it looks like God says that if you honor your father and your mother, you will live 80, 90, or 100 years, right? Honor your father and mother, and you will live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But can I really stand up in the pulpit and say, if you honor your parents, that you're going to live 80, 90, or 100 years? I don't know. It doesn't seem quite right. Uh, therefore, like the, the child that dies of illness or accident must not have honored their parents then, right? Because they didn't live 80, 90, 100 years. Right, so what I would always do is I would say, okay, honor your father and mother, and if you obey this, God will bless you. I'll just fuzzy it up a little. It's got to be something good, right? But I don't know what that means. So here's the key to unlocking the fifth commandment, and actually some of the other commandments as well. The key to unlocking this promise, which is reiterated in Ephesians chapter 6, is that the Ten Commandments are not just given to individual people. They're given to the faith community. And some of the YOUs in the Ten Commandments are plural YOUs, not individual YOUs. So the heart and the spirit behind the commandment and the other scriptures I'm sharing with you today is this, that if moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas will follow God, and their children and their grandchildren will honor their parents in the most important way a young person is to honor their parent, which is by receiving the faith that's passed to them and following in the footsteps of the faith of their parents. If that happens, then the people of God, the community of faith, or in New Testament terms, the church of Jesus Christ, will live long in the land. Guaranteed. Lock tight promise from God. Imagine here at St. Paul's, God uses the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles to win the hearts of their children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. What could stop your church 
Answer? Nothing. Nothing can stop a church that advances with multi-generational faith. And it's actually a promise from God. Let's go forward to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We had this read to us a moment ago. Jesus says it's the most important commandment in the whole Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Now immediately following the great commandment, God gives his people a mission. He gives us a mission and a very specific practical action step. This is what I want to show you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. These commandments I give today are be upon your hearts. Now if you want to love me, if you want to be a missional, great commission, externally focused Christian, I have a mission for you. Here it is. Next verse. Impress them on your children. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, your mission in the world starts with the souls of these children entrusted to your care. Now how many of you are here and it's the desire of your heart to love God? You struggle every day, but boy, it's the desire of your heart to love God. Okay. For those of you, grandma, grandpas, aunts and uncles, moms and dads, how many of you, it's the desire of your heart that the young ones in your family love God? You really want them to love God too. Okay. Next, wouldn't you, next natural question for God, at least for me, would be, okay, God, yes, I want to love you. Yes, I want my kids to love you. But, but how? Is there anything concrete or specific that I could possibly do, especially with all my character problems and sin issues? What could I possibly do? to help shape the hearts of my kids with a love for God. Very next verse, God speaks to that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Mission one. And how do you start doing that? Next verse tells us. Talk about them when you sit at home. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Talk about God at home with your family. Pray at home with your family. Open his book at home with your family. Down through the Christian centuries, this has been called family worship. Family worship, these few moments of the day where the, the family gets together to turn their hearts to God in prayer and faith and repentance and turn his heart, turn their hearts to his word. Unfortunately, today, one in 20 Christian families practice this. Those of you that are a part of St. Paul's here, you should feel blessed that you are a part of a church with leaders that have a vision to train and equip moms and dads to start doing family worship again, the way the centuries of Christians that have gone before us have. All right, we're going to fast forward our way through the Bible. We're going to go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the Italian prophet. Malachi, thank you for the snicker. Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. This is the, the final words of God in the Old Testament. It says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees that I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I'll come and strike the land with a curse. That's the happy ending of the Old Testament right there. You're done. That's all you got. The Holy Spirit promises he's going to work in such a way that the hearts of fathers are going to turn to the ministry of their children. And the hearts of children are going to turn back to their fathers. And God says, if this doesn't happen, he's going to strike the land with a curse. And I wonder, in our nation, if we've invited the curse of God, if we've invited the curse of God upon us, as men's hearts have turned away from their families. And certainly that was me. 
up until a number of years ago. Now, I want to show you something that is absolutely amazing to me. The Old Testament ends with this vision of the heart connection of parents and their children, particularly fathers. That's the end of the Old Testament. And the New Testament begins with the exact same words. The link between the Testaments that God has given us is the turning of the father's heart to his children. Now, we've got the last words of the Old Testament here in Malachi 4. The first thing that happens in the New Testament, 400 years after the promise, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. When is he coming? An angel Gabriel appears to an old man named Zechariah. And he speaks to this old man, Zechariah. Those are the first words of God since Malachi chapter 4. And he speaks to Zechariah about the baby growing in his wife Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist, who, that's who we know him as. And the angel speaks to Zechariah and he says this. So these are the next words of God after Malachi chapter 4. The angel says, Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Does that ring a bell? Malachi chapter 4. Now what's John going to do? How is John going to prepare the people for Messiah? He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you want the hearts of your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews prepared for the Lord? Turn your heart to them. Ask God to make it the number one mission of your life, whether your kids are 55 or 5 years old. Ask God to make it the number one mission of your life to impress their hearts with the love for Him. Let's talk about Jesus' great commission. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus gives His followers this instruction. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I want to suggest to you that the Great Commission is, is a reiteration and an expansion of the first commandment in Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus says, make disciples. The first commandment in Genesis 1 says, be fruitful and multiply. Jesus says, of all nations. First commandment says, fill the earth. Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, which is the whole Bible, by the way, because it's all the word of Jesus. And the first commandment says, subdue it. Subdue every sphere and realm of this world, education, government, morality, marriage, family, under the crown rule of Jesus Christ. That is the mission for God's people. So you see, God hasn't changed his mind. Now, somebody say, well, Rob, are you saying the Great Commission is about fostering babies and adopting babies and raising babies? No, no. The Great Commission is a reiteration and expansion. But I certainly am saying that being a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa is all about the Great Commission. It's all about making disciples. Now, when I grew up in church and the pastor was going to preach on Matthew chapter 28, Great Commission, he'd preach the text and then it would be application time. Okay, how are we going to apply? Go and make disciples. He would then talk to me about my non-Christian friends and the Africans. You with me? Who do you know in your life that doesn't know Jesus? And global missions. That would be what we talk about. And yes, praise God, those are proper applications of Matthew chapter 28. But, but what I didn't get what was a more comprehensive, more biblical message of get right with God, 
Honor your parents. You have parents that aren't saved? Pray for them every day. Share the gospel with them. Minister to your siblings. Are you married? Make your spouse your number one priority. Do you have children or grandchildren? Your mission to make disciples begins with their souls in your home. And then, together as a family, reach out to your neighbors and the Africans and everywhere else. Now, the early church launched with that second vision. They launched with a family discipleship vision. Let me show it to you in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches this sermon, and here's how he ends it. He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. You see this? You, your kids in the world. You, your kids in the world. This is the threefold move of the gospel, cover to cover in the Bible. But in 20th century Christianity, by and large, we took the middle piece out. And so in churches all across our country right now, the sermon every Sunday is basically the same. Point one, get right with God. Point two, please volunteer in one of our ministries. And every week, more or less, that's the sermon. As opposed to get right with God, honor your parents, reach your siblings, prioritize your spouse if you're married, make disciples of your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews, and then, together as a family, would you please come volunteer at our church? Praise God for that. I I like that one. But if we skip the middle piece, what we actually do is we put secondary ministries ahead of primary ministries. Let me conclude with this. 3 John chapter 4, or verse 4, excuse me. It says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And certainly John is speaking here of, of spiritual children in the sense of being an elder at, at, at his church. But this principle, I believe, applies also to our children and grandchildren and our families. And what we've found in our ministry is the opposite of this is also true. No greater sorrow for a Christian man, Christian woman, when one of our own children or grandchildren is far from God. And unfortunately today our churches are filled with, two-thirds anyway, of empty nest parents who have adult kids that are struggling with their faith. And it's the greatest pain of their life, greatest sorrow of their life. And in fact, for many, there's a lot of shame with it. They look around at church and they see everybody else has a perfect family with perfect kids. And that's true, by the way. You're the only one with messed up family. I want you to know that right now. Um, no, obviously that's, that's, that's not true. And uh, people cry themselves to sleep at night. And of course, the enemy also comes in with a terrible lie, which is there's nothing you can do now for that child. They're, they're 25, they're 30, they live halfway across the country. Oh, you can pray, sure, but we all know that doesn't work. That's Satan. Um, you can pray now. But you know what? There's, there's nothing in the scriptures that says that the mission of the parent ends at age 18, 25, or 50, whenever your kid moves out, right? Um, it's a lifelong mission. And especially for those of you that are here with those adult children far from God, I want you to be strengthened in your soul today and be given great courage from the Holy Spirit that your mission to reach them for Christ is not over. Now, as I've walked through these scriptures with you this morning, does it make more sense to you now why the enemy attacks your family with such ferocity? Does it make more sense to you now why your relationship with your parents is so difficult Why your relationship with your siblings has got so much conflict in it. Why marriage is hard. Why parenting and grandparenting and aunting and uncling, it's all just so difficult. Everybody at church is so nice, but when I go home, it's so hard. Have you ever wondered why that is? Because Satan makes his primary attack point your home. Why would he do such a thing? 
because he knows that what happens in the regular life of your family is directly connected to God's plan for the world. Because God's plan is a multi-generational plan that spreads through your home. And so he's going to attack your relationship with your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your children. And he's going to make that his top priority in your life. Now I want to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. My belief is that when we look at as much scripture as we've looked at today through the readings and through the preaching, that when we read God's word, God speaks to us. That is what his word is, him speaking to us. And I believe when you get this much intake of the word of God that the Holy Spirit will convict your heart. Some of us need to pray very desperately right now. Some of us, there is a marriage in our family. It may be our parents' marriage, our marriage, a sibling's marriage, a child's marriage, a marriage that is a great crisis, and you need to go to God now and plead with God to work a miracle to save that marriage. Some of you are, are here, and you have got a child far from God, and you need to plead with God today to work a miracle in that child's life, bring them back to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You may be a head of a household, you may be a head of a household, and just like me, you have not been the spiritual leader of your home. You have not been the shepherd of your family. You've not led your family in family worship. And God convicted you of that today. And you need to repent. I encourage you, if you're a head of a household, one of the things you may need to do is put a hand on a household, a family member. It may be a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a brother or sister. You may need to pray out loud. God, I confess, turn my heart to my family. Turn my heart to my children. Make me the leader of this family that you created me to be. Use this time to pray now. God is listening to your prayers. God, we lift up our families to you and we need such help. Lord, we, we have brokenness and sadness and hurt in every one of our homes, in every one of our family trees. So God, many of the people in this room right now have, have lifted up prayers, pleading with you for miracles. Miracles of marriage reconciliation, miracles of prodigal children coming home, miracles of, of changing a heart of a head of a household to lead be the shepherd of that home. Would you hear and answer these prayers for the sake of your son Jesus? Amen.